0: or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks, dating back to
1: 1996. Good morning again, uh, so we'll go, some more people joined us, so welcome to those who joined. So we go around and say our names, um, and then we'll introduce Tripp, and then hear from the Trip. Um, and I, you know, some I mean, of you know, I have to say I have to encourage people to share their personal pronouns, um, preferred personal pronouns. You never know who's in the space who new people, and we don't want to just assume how people like to be addressed or referred to in the third person um, when we gossip about them. Um, <laughs> so, uh, my name is David.
0: Bob.
2: Grisha. Andre. <coughs> Christian. <coughs> Charles. Greg. Jason. He. Him. Michael. He. Him. Uh, my name is Mark. He. Him. Bob. Jeff. He. Him.
3: Tom. My name is Jerry.
4: I'm Clint.
3: I'm Tom. Matthew. He. Him. I'm Larry. My name is Ray. Kevin. I'm David, he, him. My name is Stephanie. My name is Paul.
1: Susan. <coughs> Joe.
2: Tim, he, him. Richard, he, him.
5: Jay. I'm Brad. I'm Samuel.
1: And um, again, other people, anyone else here for the first time? Um, <coughs> Okay, I just want to acknowledge Tom and just welcome Tom back, because he's been away from a long time. it's really great to see you again. Um, and uh, welcome Trip. thanks for joining, he's our speaker today. I'll, can I talk about you? Sure. <laughs> uh, so Tripp uh, is a graduate of Spirit Rock's community leader and dedicated practitioner program. Um, he's very involved in the San Francisco um, Insight here in town as both a board member, a teacher in these city groups, and also works as a psychotherapist with a private practice here in San Francisco. Um, and if there's anything else you want to add, of course you can't say so welcome. Thank for you. being here this morning. Oh, and also is the uh, facilitator and teacher for the upcoming um, retreat. We'll hear more about that at the end, so thanks.
5: Thanks everyone. Great to be here with you, Um, and I'm also excited about uh, joining those of you who will be on the retreat. We're really looking forward to that. Um, And I actually uh, designed my talk today to be something that could be standing alone as a talk, but also a little bit of a springboard into the retreat, too, for people who will be coming, Um, and also something that people who join the retreat and aren't here today can will be find having missed so trying to find the sweet spot in all those areas, um, and the the subject that I have in mind to talk about today is um, starting with one of those Buddhist terms that um, might or might not be familiar to you. So uh, the the term is yonisam manasakara, which means essentially wise attention. Um, is that something people have heard about or um, just kind of a show of hands is that something that's kind of familiar to you or not so familiar 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 okay good thanks that helps me to know so it's one of those um, terms that uh, I think of it as being talking about something that is really basic so it doesn't fall on the noble eightfold path for example um, it's not one of those those eight that we might hear about more frequently, um, you know, wise understanding, wise intention, wise action, speech and livelihood, wise effort, mindfulness and concentration. Um, this is something that's kind of more basic in a way. You understand manasikara, this notion of of wise intention. Uh, excuse me, wise attention. So it comes from uh, uh, a couple of different roots. The, the word yoniso literally means to the womb, to the womb, to the womb. So the meaning is that it's getting at the core or the essence of a matter, the, the center, um, the, the pith or the substance. Uh, Manisakara simply means to keep something in mind. Manasi means in the mind and kara means made or done. So it's about keeping in mind the womb or keeping in mind the sort of heart or the the, the kind of um, deepest, most basic aspects. I think of it as, um, in some ways, uh, keeping in mind the heart of the teachings being suffering and, and not suffering, or suffering in the end of suffering. I'll say more about that. So wise attention, one way to, to describe it would be to call it selecting wisely the things to bear in mind. We're trying to choose what it is that we're going to focus our attention on. Uh, directing the mind to the root of things. In the Buddhist text, Yonisamana sakara is listed among the four virtues conducive to growth. There's one of the lists that it appears on, the four virtues conducive to growth. Or the same list is also called the four factors for attaining stream entry, the first step on the path to enlightenment, to awakening. So these four, it's a list I really love. The four virtues conducive to growth are one, Association with a wise friend.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: Two, listening to good teaching. Three, wise reflection or attention yamasamana sakara. And four, practicing in accordance with good teaching.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: So it's it's super basic, really, when you think about it, um, and. What I love about this list is how accessible it is and also how, it's sort of a different way of saying accessible, but how these are things that we're doing all the time without really even realizing it, or maybe without really appreciating or valuing. Start with the first, association with a wise friend. That's this group. That's that's Sangha. That's... um, making a point of being around people who are going to help us go in the right direction. Listening to good teaching, or let's say today, <laughs> I don't want to, I, I started to say something self-deprecating, and I thought, well, that's not a good idea either. Yeah. So, yeah, let's assume this is listening to good teaching, I and mean, here Every Anytime you come, it's listening to good teaching. And reading is listening to good teaching. Um, listening to a Dharma talk is listening to good teaching. It's basically soaking up the, the Dharma, being in, a, in, a, in an environment where it's possible to soak up the Dharma. Wise reflection. Um, and, and again, I'll, I'll sort of start with this kind of simple definition of wise reflection as being reflecting on whether we're heading toward more suffering or heading toward freedom. Keeping that in mind. Keeping suffering or the end of suffering in mind and, and pointing in that direction. And then four, practicing in accordance with good teaching. So living the Dharma. Carrying it through us. As I said, I love this list because I feel like they 're all accessible, and I actually do feel like the wise reflection piece is the one that for me has required the most reflection, has required the most kind of time to really think about well what does this really mean, and what does it really mean in my own life um, But just to say again that I feel like it 's this beautiful, basic list, and I also think we 're so lucky that we have it in i 'll speak for myself anyway, I feel so lucky living here, you know, in in this time, in this place, realizing just how much access I actually have to wise friends, to being able to hear the Dharma. I mean, these are things that, you know, growing up, I didn't even think about in this way and really wouldn't have been possible. Um, So here we find ourselves in this really kind of auspicious environment, difficult and challenging in many ways but also for this list, I think really auspicious. So when I think of wise attention, I do think of it as being this kind of um, deep sort of basic quality that's being pointed at. Um, as I said, it's, it's not on the, the path as a path factor, but it really, to me, is a bridge in some way between the wisdom part of the path and the practice part of the path. It's in in both directions in a way. It's the the kind of practice that leads to the arising of wisdom, paying attention to whether they're suffering or not suffering. And it's also a kind of attention that is informed by wisdom, an attention... that we can bring to practice that's informed by wisdom, informed by an understanding of suffering and its end. So we start with the premise that um, there are some things that are worth paying attention to and then some things that aren't worth paying attention to. And whether there's suffering or not suffering is one of those things that's really worth paying attention to. When I think about it for myself, I think that it's about taking my suffering seriously. And I don't mean seriously in the sense of um, uh, sternly, but seriously in the sense of it matters. A sutta. This This was said by the blessed one, said by the arahant, so I have heard. With regard to internal factors, I don't envision any other single factor like appropriate attention as doing so much for a monk in training who has not attained the heart's goal but remains intent on the unsurpassed safety from bondage. A monk who attends appropriately, abandons what is skillful, unskillful, and develops what is skillful. So the Buddha is naming this quality of appropriate attention, or wise attention, as more than any other, fact, any other internal factor, the most important. So an internal factor meaning something that we notice is present or absent within ourselves. Nothing's more important than this, the Buddha is saying, than paying attention to the presence or absence of wise attention, knowing. Venerable Analio speaks of Yonisam sakara as a way to conceptualize practice in daily life. And he especially draws attention to the five hindrances and the seven factors of awakening as ways to characterize whether the mind is suffering or not. So let's think about that for a moment. One way that that we can particularly pay attention to what's happening, is to know whether we're being impacted by the hindrances of greed, ill will, um, of uh, restlessness or anxiety, sloth or torpor, sleepiness, and doubt. So we can, we can know whether those are present. And then on the other side, we can know whether we're experiencing some of the seven factors of awakening, of mindfulness, of investigation of dharmas, of what's happening, energy, joy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity, or balance in the mind. So part of Yonisam manasikara is bearing in mind the state of the mind and caring about the state of the mind. Paying attention. It's been very influential for me, and I'll talk a little bit about my own relationship to, to this idea. Very influential, as I've noticed how much I actually ignore my own suffering, like really kind of don't care about it or just plow through it, the suffering that's on this basic level. I think when I, when I look at my own experience, the mistake that I make is either that I think that my suffering is inevitable, so I kind of don't bother dealing with it. Um, or I actually believe it's productive. Mm-hmm. I actually believe that what my mind is doing, which is suffering, is productive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, when when I experience some kind of difficulty in the world, I have a tendency to like really bear down on it. It's like, you know, I just like want to figure it out, I want to solve it, I want to think about all the different angles. I want to imagine all the different things that might come up so I'm prepared for them. I want to, um, (laughs) I think what I want to do is ultimately push the problem away somehow. Um, But I don't don't think of it in those terms in the moment. I actually think I want to solve the problem. like I want to fix it. Um, Or even I want to be the one who solves the problem and the one who fixes the problem. So what's actually happening in my mind as I pay more attention from this perspective, pay attention uh, in the sense of samana sakara, is that I'm experiencing a ton of aversion to start with. I don't want this thing to be happening at all. I'm grasping. I'm grasping at you know, like being the 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 one who fixes it, being the one who's on the other side of it. Um, I'm feeling a ton of anxiety, a lot of worry and restlessness in the mind. You know, oh, can I do this? Can I do that? Like, well, what if they say this? Or what if they say that? Or uh, how should I respond to this email? And you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, There's actually a lot of fatigue in the mind. A lot of drowsiness and kind of in some ways um, you know sleepiness sloth and torpor I mean I actually find myself having to take naps you know when I get worked up like this Um, and then there's a ton of doubt Um, and doubt I'll speak to in a little bit more detail um, maybe in a few minutes but there's just a lot of really questioning about like the best strategy what should I be doing Um, the most recent example just that was coming up over the past few days. um, I was with some family and at different times the situation was a little stressful. We were driving together, we were going from point A to point B, um, kind of trying to figure out how to get there and all that kind of stuff. Um, And so I knew I was going to be talking about this and I thought, oh, well, here's here's a little laboratory for me. I'm sitting in the back seat, there's literally nothing else to do. The radio isn't on. There's nothing to do, but I'm going to really just pay attention to this. And so I saw, I saw the mind getting caught up in um, liking and not liking, for the most part, what was going on. You know, having just um, an attitude, let's say, <laughs> not necessarily in the neutral sense. <laughs> um, and I and I really forgot about what I was. I forgot about what we're talking about here. I was caught in what, what is called ayoniso monosakara, which means not bearing in mind or not paying appropriate attention to what's going on, not really noticing my own suffering, what was happening. And then I reflected on the experience. I started to feel the anxiety that was in my body and the agitation that was in my mind. Uh, I could see the aversion and the grasping that were coming up so strongly for me. And I started to think, how can I practice with this? What can I do differently? And I just returned to the breath. I just started breathing. Came back into the connection with the body in the moment. And the truth of the situation as it was just the, the, the true details of it, the, um, the boredom, the kind of wondering what was going to come next, the excitement, all these different aspects in the mind that, that as I reconnected to the body and just oriented to where I actually was, kind of started to clarify for me. And as I returned to the breath and accepted you know, the fatigue I was feeling, as I relaxed into it, I started to notice that there was some pleasure in the body. So here we are coming back to those awakening factors. It's like there's mindfulness that then gives rise to a kind of investigative quality. Like, well, what's actually here? And then some energy comes up from that, um, like interest and energy. Uh, ability to move into it and then from that there really was some joy there's something about connecting to reality that's really joyful isn't there it, like it just it just feels good in a really kind of simple way in the body especially when you can do it with some awareness so you can really see how It makes a difference. You can really see how, oh, you know, ten seconds ago, I was feeling like I can't take this anymore. And now suddenly, not only can I take it, but I'm actually aware of a kind of joy in the body. It actually feels okay. And then from that, there's that sense of tranquility. And concentration, like the, the mind becomes more centered. And balance, equanimity, balance being the subject of the retreat, balance. Things are okay. So that's just a little example of <clears throat> how practicing with Ionisamana Sakara manifests. Ajahn Pasano uh, calls it attention grounded in Dharma, um, He says, if we want to have a still mind, we have to attend to the stillness that arises, for example, with the breath. We don't need to have a story in order to breathe. It also means not following along in all the unhelpful places the mind might go. And then we can ask ourselves some deeper questions, like, what do I really have in mind for my mind? What am I really organizing myself around? Um, and what do I want to be organizing myself around? Am I, am I organized around gain rather than loss, so I can feel happier more of the time, rather than unhappy more of the time, in that sense? That will point to, you know, one strategy, one way to do things. Uh, but if I'm oriented instead, or what I want for my mind is a deeper sense of ease so that I can meet the challenges of the world more effectively and contribute more, that might lead to a different kind of a strategy. We can really ask ourselves, what do we have in mind for this mind? So I was going to talk about doubt, and and this is true. I mean when I when I really look at what I have in mind for my mind. I notice that there's a lot of doubt. Um, there's a lot of... Frequently, I still believe that my mind is going to be, that I'm going to be happiest and sort of safest when I can control things. And that really is the strategy that, that I am involved in a lot of the time a fair amount of the time, too much of the time, let's even say. And there really is doubt about this other strategy, this strategy of really trusting a deep connection to this moment as it is. And I think one of the reasons I love... This, this notion of Yoniso Manasakara so much, is that it's so basic about like, what are you going to focus on? What are you really going to pay attention to? Um, I, I think I've, I've mainly heard monastics talking about it in great detail, and it makes sense to me, because I think of them as the ones who are really showing the way how to, how to overcome this kind of deep, basic doubt. Like they really are throwing themselves in every day, moment by moment by moment, into this strategy of finding the deepest possible happiness through what's actually here in this moment. And it's radical. It's really radical to do that. And our conditioning... um, Is so much around not doing that, you know, around these other ways that we try to organize our existence, make it work for us. When I see that, you know, when I see that operating in myself, that doubt, that kind of spinning, that um, when I, as I Said before, when I take my own suffering seriously, like, oh, I'm suffering right now, and this matters. You know, this is something to be aware of, to do something about. When I when I come into that point of view, when there is yoni samana sakara, I find that I can usually pretty easily come back to the body, into this moment, and to the recognition and really the appreciation that this is all I have. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what's coming next, much as I might want to, and I never have. I've never known what's really coming next. <laughs> I laugh because I think it's kind of funny in a certain way, you know, how much, <laughs> how much effort I've expended to try to know what was coming next, and it's never actually worked. It's never <laughs> been true. I've never known what's coming next. It's crazy. What's here right now? That's the question. That's something worth asking, and something worth pointing the mind to. You know, and the mind can spin off, and we notice, and we bring it back. And informed by our intention, and holding on to our experience, what's really here, we can see that, I see for myself anyway, that this feels better and easier. It builds confidence. It's something that, see that it's something that can be done. Something that's valuable, and um, I just keep connecting and uh, getting in the, at the root, at the womb, and the knot tends to unravel. The knot in the mind just tends to unravel. I'm sure you've all seen that. A kind of more grand way to say it, in a way, is that the change of lineage. From I am this crazy mind to I am the one who listens to this crazy mind. <laughs> I'm with it. I'm observing it. it. Breaks down that identification. So we can see how whatever's happening in our lives can get spun into a narrative, a story, uh, uh, a task, an identification, all these different kinds (coughs) of um, mental qualities. And then we can also see that it's possible to just return, just come back to what's here. Paying attention, just noticing. Is there suffering in this moment? Is there freedom in this moment? Um, and if they're suffering, caring. Just caring. Ultimately, we're asking ourselves, can we let go of what's not worth holding on to? So I'm going to end with a poem and then just open it up for a discussion, see if people have thoughts or ideas, or anything you'd like to share. This is from a book that's about to come out. It's called The First Free Women, Poems of the Early Buddhist Nuns by Maddie Weingast. This is a new translation of the Terragata, which is the old, well, ancient um, series of poems or uh, in many cases awakening poems that the first nuns wrote. So going back to the time of the Buddha, the women who were awakening with the Buddha. And this is from Sister Mitakali or The Friend of the Dark. She writes, I was always smart. If the path was good, I figured it would make me even smarter. One night, while meditating, I watched my thoughts piling themselves up all around me. My mind built a hut out of all those thoughts then filled that hut. Soon, it was a whole city, a whole world. Oh, my beautiful, beautiful thoughts! Who will look after you after I'm gone? I swear, I could weep. I could weep for all of you. My sisters, do you really want to be free? Are you ready to leave behind... All your precious little houses so that you can make your home everywhere, it's not as hard as you might think. So, this is our, our challenge and our opportunity to let go of these houses in order to have a home, and that's what this teaching is pointing to. So, thank you for your attention,
3: Please. Could you say a little about how the wise attention is or isn't related to the the
5: feeling tones? Okay, yeah, let me think about that for a second and respond. So the question is, how is wise attention related to Vedana, or feeling tone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's related to get what? To Vedana, or feeling tone? Could you describe feeling tone? I've heard the term. but Sure, sure, yeah, so taking Please. a step back. So, uh, vedna or feeling tone, it's actually one of the four foundations of mindfulness. So, if you're familiar with the Satipatthana Sutta, this is where the Buddha lays out the practice of essentially insight meditation, um, which is mindfulness of the body um, or form, mindfulness of vedna or feeling tone, and I'll describe that in a second, um, mindfulness of... The, the sort of mental states. That, well, and mental isn't quite right. It's citta, which is the heart-mind. So, awareness of the states in the mind and heart. And then the fourth foundation is mindfulness of dharmas, of the, the sort of basic truths, including the four foundations of mindfulness, including the the uh, hindrances and the awakening factors and things like that. So these are the four kinds of um, uh, objects of meditation in the sort of basic Satipatthana framework. Um, so so feeling tone is something that we can bear in mind as we're meditating. Um, and it's said that there are three basic feeling tones. So it's not emotion. It's actually more kind of um, valence or the spin of the feeling. There's pleasant, unpleasant, and then the third is sometimes called neutral. More technically, I think it's, it's neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And this is a really important and helpful thing to, to bear in mind, because as we notice, the, it's said that the feeling tone arises automatically in each moment. Um, and by moment, we mean like micro-moment. Any time there is contact with a sense door, so any you, you see something, um, you hear something, you think something, there's automatically this kind of feeling tone that just arises. It just registers as pleasant or unpleasant or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. It tends that when it's the, the neutral, that we, we don't even really, we're not really aware of it. We, we just sort of don't know it. So just as you're sitting here right now with your eyes open, um, you might notice that they're seeing and then you just might notice that there's a subtle sort of uh, tone that goes with that. Like I'm looking at the brick, and I find it to be a little pleasant. There's just something kind of nice about the way the light is, is, is hitting it. Um, and every moment is going to have something like that going on. It might be unpleasant. Um, uh, I just noticed a little feeling in my knee. Uh, that was just slightly unpleasant. Nothing terribly painful, but as I connect to that experience in the knee, there's just a, a bit of unpleasantness. So, what's so important about Vedna is that this is the gateway to clinging. This is the gateway to suffering, because what typically happens is that if the feeling tone is pleasant, we want more of it we just move to wanting more. And if it's unpleasant, we move to aversion. Just very quickly and naturally in the mind. And if it's neither pleasant nor unpleasant, we usually just sort of space out on it. We don't really notice it. So, in one of these three ways, often, we're disconnecting. We're going out to wanting, we're going out to aversion, or we're spacing out. So, as a focus for practice or awareness, it's a key moment, a key spot to be aware of so that we can kind of catch that and come back instead of moving out. So, to answer the question, I have to try to answer the question. So, Yoni Samana Sakara is in some way a, a little bit more basic. It's more like, let's pay attention to what's going on, which will then include Vedna, um, so that we can not suffer. So I would say that, that for me anyway, the awareness of, of Vedna, um, or mindfulness practice in general, is is um, something that I undertake when I am first wisely attending to whether I'm suffering or not in a given moment. Does that yes, make you. sense? Yes, yeah. Uh, it's sort of foundational. It's foundational, is the way I think about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of like those foundational factors, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, that list. Mm-hmm. You know, of like, it's, it's foundational to just be around wise people and to listen to the Dharma and to practice. Yeah. It's foundational in that sense. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for asking. Thank you. hand was up first. Yeah. i completely
3: you to talk. That's great. Sorry, I'm not going to make the treat. One of the things that uh, you touched on that um, I've been especially noticing recently is I often try to and, and overriding my suffering. And, and um, what I've noticed is when I actually stayed with it, kind of with the contraction, what's involved, that when I'm with that truth,
2: that then that breaks open to this underlying bliss. And all of a sudden I'm feeling really joyous. <laughs> It's amazing yeah
5: yeah it's, it is amazing isn't it like I mean, the way you say amazing it's, it's, it, it, it has that quality of like miraculous yeah like
4: how it's did nice that happen life. magical yeah yeah yeah
5: exactly well and there you are because you're just exactly in the heart of it moving from aversion from a hindrance um coming to mindfulness and then there are the awakening factors just like unfolding right in front of you um and, and the beauty of these lists is not that they're you know, something for us to memorize, it's that they're a way to describe what we already know, what's already so familiar um, and, then, and then there's a certain kind of reinforcement I think that comes from that too from knowing, oh there it is on the seven factors, on, this is joy but the real reward is just in the experience isn't it it's just,
2: yeah it's beautiful it's that. I mean, overall, a word that um, is particularly important for me is to keep. Remembers the immediacy of being with it all, you're breaking it down to different components, but it's like that right here in the moment. It's
5: great. Mm, yeah, lovely. Thank you. Yeah, just that presence right here.
2: Thanks. Um, Trip, thank you so much. Um, I'm really glad you're going to be teaching the retreat, because you. you're, um, you're clearly a good vessel for the Dharma, so, um, and I like the fact that you smile while you're talking about <laughs> 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 it, a joy for us. Um, so two questions, uh, do you pronounce your last name like Wheel of the Dharma, or like while we're meditating? <laughs> <laughs> Wheel of the Dharma. Wheel of the Dharma. yes, thank you. Thank um, you. I love this uh, putting attention on our suffering. Um, You know, the thought of it—not not not wallowing in it, but sort of honoring it. You know, it's the first noble truth, right? There is suffering, and I think I tend to, um, you know, like waltz over that. Just step up like, oh yeah, there's suffering. Yeah, I got it. That's a sort of a philosophical, mental like, oh yes, yes, yes. But how, you know, can you connect? Perhaps the importance of, of acknowledging and knowing our suffering to compassion. You know, our ability to actually be compassionate, and does it require? You know, like how do those interrelate?
5: Sure. Yeah, it's a great question and a great thing to talk about. Um, I think they're yeah they're inextricably tied, really, because when we it's said that compassion is the heart's natural response to suffering. So, when the heart is connected to the to difficulty, compassion naturally arises. Whether it's our own difficulty or someone else's difficulty, when we when we really are connected to it, the heart will respond with compassion. Um, it's which is really just caring. It's different than aversion. It's suffering, move. right? Yeah, it's moving towards it. Well, the the, the moving t- yes, the the moving towards it is is connecting to it, and then the compassion is this natural response, unbidden, really, that just arises. It's like if we're really connected to suffering, we will care about it, and 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 the heart just feels that. Um, it's one of those things that actually. In some ways, makes it easier for me to tolerate some of the difficulty that I experience around, um, you know, in the political system or wherever. It's like to realize mm-hmm. lots that of lots of suffering there, <laughs> lots of suffering there. That's not that's not being connected to. You know, that's really the problem. Is that there's not a there's not a genuine connection to the suffering. If there were, there would be compassion. I mean, uh, we can all sort of, in some ways, hold that, uh, that, that there are people whose, whose political views I disagree with strongly who would probably argue that they're connecting to a certain kind of suffering and feeling compassion, like th- mm-hmm. their, that their response is sort of their sure heart's response to the suffering. Um, and I guess we all have to decide for ourselves if we're going to make room for that possibility um but I think there's room for improvement. <laughs> and you know and I think, you know, I, I can say for myself there's room for improvement. Um, you know, but so the way I would say it is that the the compassion is the is the response to the genuine connection to suffering, which is a nice thing to understand because then we really don't have to fear it, you know. We really, I can feel, very open to it. Um, like we want to connect to it, to what's difficult, in order to be able to respond to it. It's it's necessary. I remember for myself. I remember a time I was um, I was doing it was one of those programs. I think it was the the um, dedicated practitioners program. So the reason I mention that is because. There's an opportunity to talk, you know, during the course of the program, during the retreats. So it's not just silent. And um, and I was with some friends. Um, there were three of us. And um, there was some dynamic going on. And we were all, the three of us were all friends. Uh, there was some dynamic that was going on between the other two. And it brought up this kind of envy for me. I felt sort of excluded somehow. And, and I noticed that. So it's in the quiet of the retreat, but it's also in the practice of the interactive connection with people. And this will not sound as pro- profound as it felt, but there was this moment where I was just like, oh, this is terrible, I'm being left out. I was going on and on and on with the story, and then it just dawned on me, like, this is suffering. Mm-hmm. This is it. Like this. This is what he was talking about. <laughs> And it was this revelation, just a real revelation, that, that this first noble truth is actually this moment that is so intimately familiar to me, you know, that I just go through over and over and over and over and over again. I've never forgotten that. It was like my eyes just opened up. Like, ah, oh, this, this is it. I always thought suffering was, you know, like war or things that I didn't really experience and was somehow sheltered from and that I could hope to be sheltered from, you know? Like that I could keep barriers around. So I hope that speaks to what you were asking.
3: It strikes me that what you're talking about is sort of like harm reduction.
5: Harm reduction. Say a little bit more.
3: Well, harm reduction is... a uh philosophy and substance use where people are facing huge issues of addiction Mm -hmm. and harm reduction is the philosophy that look at that suffering and choose the path that's more healthy Mm -hmm. without saying exactly what that would be. Mm -hmm. And it's more getting into your body Looking at the suffering, which is the addiction, retreating back into your... What really do you want to do as a healthy alternative? Mm-hmm. Without saying what that should be. Mm-hmm. That's harm reduction.
5: Yeah, that's it, isn't it?
3: It is, and it's a huge movement right now yeah. in the addiction community.
5: Yes, yes. Yeah. As, as an alternative to abstinence or another way to understand how to respond to
3: And I I have found that to be very, very applicable in just daily living. Mm -hmm. My uh, experience in harm reduction—it's really what you're Mm -hmm. talking about, I
5: think. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thanks for making that connection. And that makes a lot of sense to me too. It really is just about making, about connecting to the present moment, Mm -hmm. and caring about what comes next, and, and having a framework. To work from. And not having
3: it pre-decided for you mm-hmm. in advance that you decide in the moment how do you really see this suffering which is, and then deciding, wow, I can do this instead of that, Yeah. whatever that happens to be.
5: Yeah. yeah. Thanks for saying that. I can just feel the engagement and the aliveness as you're saying it in that connection. I really appreciate your bringing that out. Thank you.
3: I've actually gotten, i uh, been in a heart reduction program for a few years and I've used it in relating to my family. And um, I've gone, I have a very strong Mormon family and huge problems with my mother. And I found that using that technique in relating to the family where I would put out uh, what I really wanted and getting a complete cement wall and, you know, no response whatsoever and retreating into my feeling okay about what I'm doing, eventually I feel like all that's just disappearing <laughs> out And the way and uh, it's, it's amazing how these barriers can be dissolved just by uh, sort of retreating and advancing and, mm-hmm. you know, that whole process. It's amazing actually. And you don't even know
5: where it's going to go, but it's fun actually. (laughs) Thank you. Your time Please.
4: Just real quick, uh, that exam you you, uh, gave, I would appreciate if you followed it through. Like, let's say the situation was that you were being excluded, it wasn't your imagination, and you're feeling emotional pain about that. And so you identify correctly, oh, this is suffering. Well, then what happens after that?
5: Yeah, well, let me say, honestly, most of the time, I don't know if it's true or
4: not true. Well, let's right. say in this instance it is. But- <laughs> <laughs>
5: what I'm saying, what I, I'm, I'm saying to agree with you is like, I don't know that it wasn't. Maybe it was. Yeah, yeah it right. might well have been. So, I mean, what I'm, uh, I guess what I'm saying is,
4: sure, let's assume it was. Okay? And did, did the emotional pain... Diminish when you identify the suffering, or did you just say, "Okay, it's there. That's just the way it is"? Or it's just an interesting social situation, which I'm, you know, I've been in. I'm sure everybody else has been in too, and, and there are other situations that are different, but are at the same level of, uh, you know, it's not like you have a terminal disease, or anything, but there's suffering going on in the social context. Yeah. And I just want you, after you identify it. Um, can you go into what happens after that?
5: Yeah, sure. I'll try, um, and I'll say that for myself. Honestly, my my response about how I don't know either way is actually um, where I go a lot of the time when that kind of thing happens, because I realize that I actually feel a lot of confusion about that, um, and and you know something can happen. I can feel like I'm. Accepted, and then some little thing happens, and I feel like I'm not accepted, and then some little thing happens, and and same people, you know, three sentences later, it's like not much has happened. To it's it's really all happening in my mm-hmm. mind, and I see that, um, and and there doesn't often seem to be a reality that I can simply rest in, uh, a truth about I'm accepted or I'm not accepted, or I feel safe or don't feel safe, mm-hmm. and so. What I do is to just really stay with and even open to that confusion. Like, I can't tell, you know, I cannot tell. I know that that there's certain ways that I'm fine, you know. Um, like, I can tell that, you know, in a moment like that, I can tell that physically I'm okay. Like, I don't think I'm gonna get physically attacked. Um, but where the paranoid mind goes, my paranoid mind about about, whether I'm being rejected or accepted, it's just like, it's just kind of a mess, honestly. And, and there's not really refuge to be found in the mind that's trying to figure things out. And so I move away from the mind that's trying to figure things out and just be with the one who sees this mind with really a lot of, a lot of that's when the compassion really comes up mm-hmm. for me. It's like, oh, this mind, you're trying to figure things out, you're trying to make me safe, you're trying to tell me what's going on here, but you honestly don't know.
4: Yeah, uh, quickly. My, yeah. my experience has been, uh, in a situ- situation like that, what causes the pain isn't what's happening right now, but similar situations, whatever long train of, of they are that go back as even to childhood, where, mm-hmm. where you felt excluded, you felt you weren't being accepted by the group, you felt whatever, you, uh, yeah. similar like that. You know. um, it does put it in context, saying, I'm feeling all this pain right now, but it's not because of what's going on right now. It's because I've had... And, and I'm drawing all the strength of the pain from past experiences that are just being, you know, re, re-blooming in my mind again, re-emerging.
5: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, um, and I think that it sounds really like a helpful way to do it, to just realize that, that this experience of whatever's happening in the moment, whether you want to call it confusion or whatever it is, has this kind of karmic um, momentum mm-hmm. from past experiences that's, that, that's led you to where you are. Mm-hmm. That's great, thank you. The answer to a question. <laughs> <you>. uh, sure. <laughs> I like it when that happens. <laughs>
3: uh, sure. yes. I just wanted to uh, say uh, around the suffering is the, the reactivity. You know, the notion of, because I know when I've experienced suffering, um, I really notice, uh, sort of, i can just concealing the reactivity to it. But I think the thing that I, where I trip myself up is where I don't give the, the, the uh, enough pause, enough breath, I just to sit with it before I react. And then they, they I have suffering around the reaction that I just gave to the suffering, the initial suffering. So just bouncing uh, into just the notion of being mindful of the activity. Yeah. Um, and uh, giving that space before reaction.
5: Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Makes me think of that Viktor Frankl quote you know, between the stimulus and the response, there's some the space, and in that space, it's the possibility of freedom. That's not a quote, but that's a paraphrasing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for that.
1: Um, thank you, Chip. Yeah. We're we're kind of at time right now. Um, yeah. Thank you very much. Sorry. Yes. Um, I want to do things a little different. Can we circle first before your announcements? So we can stand up and circle first. Sure, please. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Um, (laughs) Before I introduce or pass the mic to our host, are there any announcements that people have (coughs) Uh, retreat?
3: I have two announcements. Well, I'm the host. Um, But first, the GBF retreat is happening on the 11th and the 13th of October. As you heard, Tripp is our Dharma teacher, and you see how fabulous he is. So we have a few spaces left. So it's not too late to uh, sign up, I don't think. Where's Jerry? Are we, mm-hmm. have, do we have a cutoff or? We're fine. We're good. So, um, well, this trip was so great today that we get 20 people. It <laughs> <laughs> would be wonderful. <laughs> so I'm also the host today. There are some cookies and dates to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're welcome to have tea just stick your cup in the dishwasher. There's a sign-up sheet uh, she on the credenza if you want to get our newsletter electronically. And um, some people go out to lunch around 12.30, meet by the door. Any other announcements? I have a quick
2: announcement. Please. Um, so uh, I started with another friend of mine doing a contemplative dance practice that was developed by Barbara Dilley at Naropa. Um, and we're uh, doing it at the Joe Good Annex. I felt like it was appropriate to offer it to, <laughs> for both reasons. Um, and it's, uh, don't let the title of dance throw you off. It's very um, open to bodies and it has contemplative practice at the beginning and throughout. So if you'd like to join, come talk to me.
3: Talk to you. Okay, I'm going to ask Just a reminder, Hal Hershey's memorial is November 17th at the SF area from 3 to 5.
1: So the monthly book group is meeting the first Sunday of the month. I think that's October 5th. And we're reading, listening to the New York Times Magazine's um, 1619 project, if you're not familiar with that, it was in August, September, just a whole multimedia project that's online about, the 1619 is the year that the first ship of 20 to 30 enslaved Africans arrived in the colonies, I mean, long before that they were being stolen and kidnapped and taken into South America. Uh, and it's like, that's just the advent of the beginning of American democracy. Uh, so it's a lot of stories, essays, uh, podcasts. Um, we're meeting on the Sunday, the fifth, sixth. Thank you. So if you're interested, you could talk to me about that. The discussion we're going to have. Uh, any other announcements? Dharma. You have Not any? Dharma. No, Donna. Oh, Donna, yes. <laughs> I'm not, um, so, uh, Donna is poly word for generosity and the Sangha here, our practice is sustained through the generosity of all of us. To give every Sunday, so I'm guessing Richard, are you going around with the house? I will have the bowl. So please uh, contribute what you can. The suggested recommended is between ten and twenty dollars. If you, within your means, can do more, that's beautiful. Um, if you're unable to, to do less, that's beautiful also. Uh, but it supports our rent here for this beautiful facility, as well as the quarterly newsletter that goes out to incarcerated people. As well as a monthly dinner that's prepared for the youth at Larkin Street. Um, so it's in house but also service as well that supports the speakers. Speakers. Anything else? Our speaker. The, the speaker, speaker. speaker. next no, week. Oh, the Don. Oh, support the Don supports the speaker also. <laughs> 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 I don't know the speaker for next week. I don't yes. have the schedule of somebody. I don't know. But you can look at the newsletter. Yes. Right. Or Facebook. Okay. Um, trip, I'm sorry. Do you have a practice of dedicating the merit? Do you have? could you do that for us? Today? Sure. Oh,
5: thank you. Okay. Yeah. Great. Just feeling into the goodness that comes from our being together, from our own practice, individually and collectively, and then if it feels appropriate, offering any merit any benefit that arises from our practice freely to all beings in all directions sharing these wishes may all beings be safe may all beings be truly happy may all beings live in peace and may all beings know the deepest possible ease.
0: (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month, and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live. Please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.